Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Justin, a.k.a. Just Tries, and we're always talking learning, vulnerability, and growth mindset. Check out Just Keep Learning for content and more episodes geared toward helping you not just set goals, but achieve them too. We have a goal to help millions of people be lifelong learners and get their ambitions off the ground, so be sure to hit us up and let us know how we can help. Our guest today is a guru when it comes to course creation, journalism, and branding. He has a combination of filmmaking abilities, teaching experience, and business savvy, which paved the way for him to launch and scale Ryan Surhan's digital product division. In today's show, we talk all about manifestation, money dials, and creating courses that not only convert, but actually lead to learning. While he is a big fan of collaboration, no doubt his own personal brand is growing and growing by the day. Please welcome to episode 14, Kyle Scott. What would you give your introduction uh, on like a, you know, take your dad to work day kind of thing? I like the framing of that. Uh, here it is. So I run Ryan Serhant's digital businesses. Uh, so Ryan Serhant is one of the stars of Bravo's Million Dollar Listing New York. He's the top real estate agent here in New York City. Uh, he's number three in the country. And then also he has this, this digital company uh, sort of on the side, largely. Uh, I came to work for Ryan what was it about a year ago when I met him at NBC and I pitched him on this idea that we should start a course for his book, his best-selling book, Sell Like Sirhan. And I did that uh, on a freelance basis for a year while I was also at NBC. And then that turned into a full-time job as the course took off and became a real business. So now we have thousands of members in this, this sales course in 36 countries across six continents. Uh, and we're growing every single day. I think that's a pretty cool thing, being able to know that it's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm assuming hiring more people as well to help with. Yes. So the course started out as just me, just one person. I mean, we had a number of sort of freelancers or temporary people who helped on the side, uh, certainly to get it launched. But now we have a full team, right? So it's, I run it uh, in addition to a few other initiatives. Uh, so it's, it's uh, Sell Extra Hand, the course, Big Money Energy book. And then book and brand. Uh, then we have merchandise, Ryan's merchandise, and Ryan's speaking as well, all under the same portfolio. Uh, so we have a community manager, a digital marketing director as full-time employees. And then outside of that, we have several freelance staff all over the country So, or, and actually the world. Our developers in Uruguay, we have a funnel architect who's based in Canada. Uh, we have a CTO uh, based in Florida. And uh, some other people that we work with, a copywriter who's also here in New York, who I've never met, but this great copy. For a lot of people who have no experience with building a business, hearing all of those different kind of terms and names is a pretty interesting thing. The reason why I started this podcast was because I meet a lot of youth who struggle, but they want to own something. They want the freedom that comes with sort of running their own thing. Sure. What's neat, though, is it seems like you have at least a bit of that freedom. But as you mentioned in your description, you work for someone else. Right. How do you guys feel that that works in terms of being able to build a business, but still be free to think on your own and that kind of stuff? For Ryan, Ryan is involved in so much, so many different businesses. Uh, his primary focus 24-7, 365 is real estate. So uh, for me, Ryan sets the direction and the tone, but then it's up to me to, uh, to operate it uh, and execute on it. Right? It's not something that Ryan has to think about every day because that's my job, largely. Uh, but that wasn't something that I could do if I was just starting out right out of high school or right out of college. It took me a long time to figure out how to run a team. Right? 
so I was at NBC News for 10 years before getting this this current role that I have now. Uh, and working my way up from executive assistant, well, page to executive assistant to coordinator to associate producer to producer. So when I became a producer at NBC News is really when I started to have my own projects. That's the role of a producer. You have a boss, executive producer. Uh, but then it's up to you to produce your individual segment or your individual projects. So I really learned how to do that. Uh, only towards the end of my my time at NBC, probably my last three years of NBC, and then now I, I have a business to run that I'm responsible for. But it was it was certainly a learning curve over a decade. I was just about to ask how long that w- period was, and I think one of those things that's fascinating is the transferable skills. I'm sure Ryan doesn't want you to leave, but you could take those anywhere you go throughout life. That's one of the things I try and continue to teach people that you can learn those things in so many different areas. And I think you learn it through the people you surround yourself with. Uh, I have I have been fortunate over time in my, my career so far to actually pick the bosses and pick the jobs that I want to want to do and the people I want to work for rather than the other way around. I found that when I when I seek out new opportunities, it always is much more rewarding and seek out the people that I want to work work with and work for. Uh, and then you pick people above you who are better than you in some way, something that you can learn from them and incorporate into your own skill set. So do you believe in the art of manifestation, the secret? Uh, what is that? You, you, you envision something and then make your vision a reality? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, 100%. When I have something that I want to accomplish, like a very clear drive and a goal, I somehow find a way to make it happen. If it is more like, yeah, that'd be nice, but I'm not driven and passionate about it it doesn't always happen the way that I want it to. So I do believe uh, that that you have to create a vision for yourself to make that vision a reality. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating topic. Um, it's one that I personally was lost in for a long time because I thought that there was a lot of a much stronger like philosophical component to if you just dream it, it'll manifest. And I realized that there was way more action than I was personally putting into it too, right? How long was it from deciding that you wanted to, you know, move on from the production that you were doing to working with Ryan when you had that idea to it becoming a reality? How long did that take? Yeah, I sort of, I largely stumbled into it. Uh, And I say that because when I pitched Ryan this idea of doing a course, it was just a pitch as a freelance project for me to do a course. I didn't necessarily at the time expect it to become a real business that has members in 36 countries and six continents, uh, thousands and thousands of people who have signed up for this thing. Uh, and and we're growing the value ladder, right? Certainly didn't expect it. But once I found the passion for it, once I said, huh, we really have something here that's real. And this is a lot of fun. It's really challenging, but it's also rewarding. Uh, in terms of time, I mean, I developed the course over the course of a year, but it was a slow, slow evolution from, yeah, there's something I'll do, you know, for, for some extra side, side projects to, yeah, there could be something here. Took about a year. That's pretty neat, though, you know, setting your sights on something. I want to give you another example of that because I've done that a few times. So I remember when I was a page at NBC, I was walking down the hallway uh, on the third floor at NBC News, and I walked past them. Oh, what is a page? A page is NBC News's, uh, NBC Universal's entry-level program. So if you watch 30 Rock, the TV show on NBC, Kenneth the Page is a page. But it's actually a storied program that goes all the way back to the 1930s. This, was the, this is the premier entry-level program, rotational program, to get into the media industry. I believe, as a, as a former page, there's no better way to do it. Because you get to see all the different departments and all the different divisions 
at a large media conglomerate like NBC Universal, and then the people that they hire for the entry level positions tend to be pages or interns. So it's your foot in the door okay. uh, into this industry. So when I remember when I was a page, I was walking through the hallway on the third floor of NBC, and I walked past someone's office. His name was Mark Lukashevitz. And I said, huh, that's an interesting name. I looked him up. He was a senior vice president of NBC News specials. And he do- does all the big special events. Pope, you know, Pope death and later, um, I guess, selection or, or election. I'm not sure the right term to use. Uh, elections, um, you know, funerals, big breaking news covers. That, that seems like a fun job. Seems like something I'd want to do. Two years later, I got to work for the guy. Just because I found myself in on that path and just said, huh. There's kind of something interesting here. Uh, and I really liked him and I really admired him and I made it work. Same with later on when I wanted to work at the Today Show. Just kind of made it happen because I thought, thought that would be a neat thing to do. Uh, and I found the path. I sort of drew it in my mind, the steps that I need to take. And that's that's ultimately how I ended up running a vertical for NBC News. Just saw the opportunity. And so that's an opportunity to create an op- something for myself. And it's not just the Today Show where you're cogging the wheel. It's something that I can own. and then going on to work for Ryan. What was the vertical with NBC News? It was called Better, uh, actually. So right after I covered the 2016 election of President Trump, and right after that election was over, all of a sudden the news became very politicized. There is very much a us versus them, left versus right. And advertisers didn't necessarily want to advertise under those conditions, very negative. So what we found was we needed to create something that's more advertiser friendly. And what better way than something that is about making your life better? That's what advertisers want to be next to, positivity, helping people live a better life. And it's funny that that ultimately turned into um, how Ryan and what I do for him today, which is helping helping people become better salespeople uh, as part of the chorus in the Salt Lake Hand program. That is some incredible experiences. I could take this in a million different directions, but I just want to stick with this idea of the better concept yeah. for a second, because I know that um, John Krasinski, I believe his name is, had the Some Good News Network on YouTube yeah. that launched as soon as COVID happened. Yes. That was an example for me of, you know, I'll talk to a lot of people where they're like, oh, I had this amazing idea and then somebody stole it or I turned the TV on and somebody else was doing it. This was one of these moments for me because I always tell people that watch the news to get the important things you need from it. Make sure you're not watching it for all of the bad news that's out there because there's 95% of this world that's good and you get it gets toxic. Tell me more about what Better was because I hadn't heard of it before doing this interview. So Yeah, so uh, Better is sort of news you can use is a good way to look at it. Um, I had an opportunity to create, to completely define what the video content looked like for that vertical. Um, so it ended up being interviews, people who I just found interesting and I thought our audience would find interesting. Ryan was one of them. We did Keith Ferrazzi, Ramit Sethi, uh, who's the guy who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Kiyosaki, the who's who of people who who were authors. Um, we did William Shatner once. Oh, we did Michael Phelps, uh, the Property Brothers, like literally anyone, Kevin O'Leary, David John I did. So it was an opportunity for me to learn personally from all these people and then share my natural curiosity with the audience, with our audience. And those all did very well because they were all, um, the series ended up being very specific takeaway. It was, I figured out how to, it was always backstory sort of turning point. I figured out and then, um, lessons learned. And that, that end, that third part of those videos was always the takeaway. What can I as a viewer actually take from this and go implement 
into my life. So it's worthwhile that you just spent three to four minutes of your time. It wasn't an interview for the sake of an interview. So that was one thing. We also did um, riffs off of the news. Anytime that there was negative news, so let's say hurricane, um, floods, heat, uh, heat waves, like anything sort of nature. Oh, um, like the, the mudslides and then the, the wildfires. It was always, how can we protect ourselves against this? And what can we learn from this so it doesn't happen again? That positively, how do we make ourselves better after this negative thing? And those always did really well because like who wouldn't want to watch like five ways to protect your home from a mudslide? Like that's kind of an interesting video. Uh, and for people who are worried about this uh, during the time of, of, you know, the California mudslides, as one example, uh, it was actually valuable information that could help them live a better life, protect their life and property. Uh, so we did that as one series. We had one that was like, it was called A Better Way. So it was all these life hacks with Megan Murphy, the uh, who was then the executive editor of Good Housekeeping. So um, like a better way to use your pool noodles, which is crazy. But there are better ways to use your pool noodles than just floating around. Like you can use them to protect like your um, your table, right? Like if you have a kid walking around, like a toddler, uh, and they're going to fall into the coffee table, you can actually use them as bumpers around the coffee table. Uh, and the, the, I mean, the list goes on and on. You use them as a pincushion. So we like evolved it. We ended up shooting that series with drones and I hired a DP and we had like a slider. Like that evolved into this crazy high production value series because it could and because it was fun and it was interesting. So that was largely um, largely better. But my favorite thing to do is always the interviews. I mean, it's fascinating. I think the whole concept of it could be uh, just an en- exponentially growing brand, really, when I think about it. Like, um, I think it's one word better. And um, it's an example of going broad in general that in a way becomes niche, which is what I'm trying to do with my work, right? I, I explained that it, it seems super broad, but it becomes niche because we're just focused on learning if everybody gets in, in a learning mindset. Yeah. And I just think that when, when you hit that out of the park, it, it can be so successful. Does it still exist? I want to build up that point, that idea of niche. I'm a big believer in the power of niche because people, a couple of reasons. Number one, people want to be surrounded by other people like them. So the more niche and like them, you can create a community. It becomes content that people are actually willing to pay for. There's something that really tipped me off to this. I was reading Popular Mechanics perhaps two years ago, and they were talking about like a bowling website for bowling enthusiasts, and you could pay for on-demand content to like improve your bowling game. You want to talk about niche, like bowling enthusiasts is extremely niche. But they're a really passionate group of people who want to be around other bowling enthusiasts. So you don't need the broadcast model where you go lowest common denominator. What's the, the sort of the stock comedy or the stock drama that millions and millions and millions of people can watch so we can get eyeballs for advertising dollars? You can have very specific, but people are willing to pay $10, $20, $30 a month for it because they're really into that content. And you can build a business around something that niche. Um, And then from there, you can get really good at that. And you can just repeat the formula for niche after niche after niche, right? Like if you master bowling, and that's your business, go into people who play darts, go to people who do um, uh, horseshoes or bocce, right? Like you can use the same the same formula over and over and over. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. Do you think that formula for this bowling uh, company and this bowling membership or whatever it is, is similar to the formula that you would have used in launching Salt Lake Serhant? Yes. Uh, So Salt Lake Serhant is for real estate agents. Uh, Real estate agents help them them sell more, earn, earn more and live a better lifestyle, right? That's what Salt Lake Serhant is all about. 
Now, real estate sales, sorry, residential real estate sales is a very tiny part of sales overall, right? Imagine that we pivot into commercial sales. And then how about going like the, like the book, Sell Like Sirhan, the best-selling book, and the TV show on Bravo, Sell It Like Sirhan, both of which are for general sales. Well, now we can pivot into you know, more um, mortgage brokers. And what are the unique strategies and, and topics that we can cover for mortgage brokers? Then insurance agents, right? Pharmaceutical sales. We actually have all these people in our course as it is who are paying for a real estate sales course because they like Ryan's sale, core sales techniques so much. We can easily take the core t- sales techniques and go sales niche by sales niche by sales niche to ultimately create a whole movement of salespeople who are looking to make sales as a whole better. Uh, and there goes back to that idea of better. But like, if you look at, and this is a little bit of a diversion, but I just want to talk about sales for a moment. Um, Daniel Pink, uh, who's an author who I interviewed when I was at NBC, he wrote a book called To Sell as Human. And what he found is that most of us are actually salespeople at the end of the day. You're a podcaster, right? You had to sell me on the idea of coming on your podcast like you do for everyone else. You're not a salesperson, but you use sales, right? Teachers are not never consider themselves salespeople, but they have to sell their students on the value of an education and why it's important for you to listen to them in class and do the assignments. So all of us have these sales skills in front of us. So our goal with Sell Like Sirhan is to raise the profile of salespeople to help you understand salespeople are not this, this sort of back, sleazy back room dealing people. It's actually a skill set that helps people make better decisions. Uh, and it's an honorable cr- profession because it moves the economy forward. Any, any idea, any topic, teaching, podcasting, whatever it is, you ultimately need a sales skill set to move that forward. Yeah, coaching in athletics is another example. Yeah, 100%. If you're a, if you're a coach, you're a football coach. You got you to gotta motivate your, your, your uh, athletes to be able to work out harder, whatever it might be, so they can go win the game. And parenting. Parenting too. Yeah, like, like the dominoes start falling once you start, right? Like imagine that world. So it's really fun and really fascinating to, to grow this brand from just real estate salespeople into other sales domains. I was a personal trainer in a previous life. I very quickly rose to 50 hours a week at $100 an hour plus, and you grow a pretty quick business that way. Um, and people would ask me, you know, well, what are the tricks to sales? What do you do to get all these conversions? And I'm like, well, it's actually quite simple. I'm not really selling in any way other than Dan Pink talks about in his book, right? That human element of connection and providing legitimate value, not the snake oil. Right. hundred percent. I was smirking a little bit because I do really like that book. I think a lot of people get caught up in this idea that sales are bad. Yeah. And that's part Actually, why I love the idea of sales too. And I'm sure your whole team feels the same way that when you're not bringing the snake oil, when you're bringing the real value, you want to sell more because otherwise the people who are bringing the crap are the ones who are getting customers and not advancing things. Yeah. So you have to believe in your product so much that it would be like a crime for your customers, your potential customers to not purchase it. Like I believe so much in what we've done with Salt Lake Hand. I mean, I produced it, but I, it's so much better than any other sales, any other course out there, period. Um, like even look at math. So I, uh, many people are inspired by masterclass and what masterclass is. And I, I don't mean to knock masterclass. They do, oh, yeah, but now you see where this is going. They do a really good job with production values, but I want you to watch their videos and see how deep they actually go. If you're looking for a survey course, masterclass is great. If you want to learn the basics of tennis, you want to learn the basics of cooking, wonderful. It's a good intro to it's a good cooking 101 
But if you want to actually become good at it, and if you want to develop a real skill and go deep in a way that will make an impact on your life, masterclass isn't enough. You need to find the guy, the expert who's going to explain the basics, but then also take you down with them into the fine nitty gritty. And we do that in Salt Lake Sirhan. Like the first part of the course is all about basic sales techniques. And then immediately after that, we apply them. We take them into real world situations, real selling situations, technique by technique by technique, very specific techniques, like something like the wow moment, which is a technique to get a buyer from a lower price point up to a higher price point just by changing their mindset because what they really want is up here. They don't really want what is down here and they can afford it ethically. But then we teach that and then we go show it in action. So you don't get that um, in a lot of other courses because a lot of other courses are either talking head courses where it's lecture, 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 or it's just so broad and basic where it's just like, here's how to sell, talk to people nicely, which doesn't really get you anywhere, right? Like you need that, but then you need the specific techniques underneath it. So we do that in Salt Lake Sirhan and we produce it with a net. Uh, I hired a Netflix documentary crew, like people who shoot documentaries for Netflix, which is one of the most you know, high line production production networks um, there are. That's important, too. The idea of masterclass and there are so many is yet another example of where I'm, you know, being me, little old teacher with a master's in education, thinking I want to change the world of learning, but not taking action. And then I see Masterclass, Udemy and Coursera, and, uh, and then the ones you produce yourself, Teachable, Thinkific, you can go down the list. There are so many things. It's slowly starting to take over. And I think COVID has even made online learning even more popular, obviously. Uh, but I think you're right. One thing that will really still ring true, doesn't matter what the tech is, is who is the actual good teacher and it's going to be who can help people apply what they're learning yeah have you heard of outlier.org uh no i've other i've heard of the book outlier so outlier.org yeah no it's not actually the book so this is um like master class and someone told me and you can't quote me on this because i didn't do the research myself on this but someone told me either one of the founders or someone who was involved in master class went to go create this but it's actually like a master class-esque platform for real education, like actual college education. Like they have calculus one on there. Imagine taking masterclass production values and teaching calculus with it. Like it's crazy, but it's the future of education. You could go sit in a classroom and have a professor sort of like drone on at the at the whiteboard and you have your classroom setting. Okay, that's great. But take a teacher who also knows how to perform, right? Like you find the best performer and the best teacher, and then you find the best producer and production team to bring it to life, like imagine what learning calculus could be like in that situation. Uh, and you can actually get college credit from the University of Pittsburgh through this. It's called outlier.org. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I'm assuming, is that what you posted to your Instagram today? Yeah, it was yesterday. I posted this to my Instagram. I, I deeply believe that so much of the future of education is online. Um, do you want to go on this thread for a minute? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I was an education journalist for my first two, after the page program, I did Education Nation and NBC News, which was largely education journalism, a lot more than that. But um, I studied this for two years. And what we found was through this, uh, this college arms race of like the late 1990s and the early 2000s of colleges all getting these like fancy like sushi bars in the, in the you know, the, the dining halls, dorms with air conditioning, like. I don't know, like squash courts, all this crazy stuff that has nothing to do with an education. The price of a college education started rising and rising and rising way faster than inflation. So what you get now is the same basic core education product on a traditional four-year university, but all those costs for all the support services, the sushi bar and the dining hall, 
as one example, has, has balloons. So the question is, is a four-year college education in terms of the return that the average, average, we're all saying averages, just to be clear, the average student is going to get from that education isn't really clear, right? Like it's, it's not sure that that is better than something like what, what outlier.org is doing, which is you can get your basic education through online learning that is much less expensive um, and specialize really deep in something uh, and then still have the same return, right? Like, I don't know if you want to be a, an engineer, right? Uh, like a computer programmer, like a computer engineer. If you need to go to one of these four-year universities, you, if that's what you want to specialize in, get the certificate, learn the technical skill, and then prove your ability through getting the certificate and doing projects and perhaps some sort of like internship or apprenticeship program with like a Facebook, Google, Amazon, et cetera. And then all they care about is that you have the skills. Like they don't, it doesn't necessarily matter that you have a four-year degree. It's what can you, what work can you do? So I think that, that for sort of the, the lower to mid-tier of college four-year universities, they're going to have a real problem competing with legitimate, again, legitimate, credentialed, well-done online education program. For sure. And I, uh, I'm still high school teacher. And for, for high school, like uh, for sort of developmental age, like zero to let's call it 18. I do believe that you still need the, you'll always need an in-person education because of so much of the social and emotional development that comes from being in a classroom setting with a peer group and having adults like high school teachers help to guide you during those formative years. Uh, you can't just put a put a 13 to 18 year old in front of a computer and say, go learn calculus uh, as the example that I had earlier, because there's so much of the social emotional component that comes to it. But for a more advanced education for college and, and higher ed beyond that, so much of it, so much less of it is the social emotional component of the formal education. One thing that I think is interesting is the ideas that are be throwing around in terms of hybrids, right? Because I agree with what you're saying. I just know that a lot of times teachers are clinging to sit in your seats and do your work for seven and a half hours a day and that gets stressful on both sides it's like a parent setting themselves up for disaster because they're not engaging kids in what they love doing enough um so i'm interested to see if kids go you know two or three times a week versus five right does that provide a better learning environment when we're talking about the brain i think if you do that you need extreme parental support because kids are still obviously there's exceptions to this but in general i think it's helpful to have a structure and a routine if, if parent or parents depending on your family situation are working and the kid is home by himself or herself trying to do online education uh, i don't know if they have necessarily the maturity to understand the importance of it when they could just go play video games or socialize or go out or you know, sort of fill in the blank by the alternative option that is way more interesting than math class. So at least if you're in a school environment, you have some supervision to help guide students on the right path. And I think that's the interesting thing when we blow up the philosophy of education and get into the big full scale conversations. And what uh, is frustrating for me halfway through an entire career is what is the most important things to learn, though, because at those critical, you know, early teen years, when I see tons of dropouts, it's like I totally agree. But then there's a lot of time spent on things that they they're like, well, this part's useless. And you have a hard time being like, well, yeah, maybe you're right. You know, figuring out what's important for kids to learn, I think, is, is so important to all of this. It's hard to communicate that value until you see it from the from sort of the perspective of someone who's been 10 years into a career. Um, like one of my great regrets at, um, at Cornell was I didn't take enough liberal arts classes. Like when else in my life am I ever going to spend a semester studying, let's say, the wars of the 1800s? Like I would have loved, like now I would love to be able to have that as a talking point that I could pull from my, you know, 
my brain of talking points when I'm at like a cocktail party. Like, oh yeah, did you know that this thing in politics today actually relates back to this thing in the 1800s that happened? How smart do you sound if you could do that, right? Like that's so rich for conversation, but I would have only learned that if I had taken the time when I was in college to take more liberal arts class. I was very focused on practical, 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 um, where when I was you know, 18 to 22, spending four years in college, I didn't have the understanding and I wasn't guided, I guess, by, by sort of either my parents or my support system to understand the value now at 30 of having those conversational talking points. That ties into this idea, not necessarily of regret, maybe, but of the thoughts of the past and things we kind of wish we had done. I know that's how I feel a bit when it comes to the world of business, right? Yeah. You know, I think back to, to college and, and the one thing that's been missing for me with these ideas of how to bring education and entertainment together is kind of the execution side things, right? And I'm like, oh, wish I could go back to college and do that. But what's cool is there is so much opportunity to learn online uh, a lot of these topics, you know, certainly history and, and business. Do you think that in terms of the tech and the production side that we're kind of there or what do you expect yeah. to see? So I, I see this all the time. I've seen many, um, many sort of people who are creating online courses have good content, but neglect the production side of it. Depending on your background, you may not necessarily understand what makes for good video. And if you're you're giving this online learning experience, you have to use good video techniques, good storytelling techniques, good production values. You can't just have a talking head and a whiteboard unless you are a really good talking head. But for the average person, um, for the average teacher, online, that's a performance skill. It's a performance that you have to be putting on. And the average teacher just doesn't have that. You have to think, what? how can I create? A, and I also don't like using the word cinematic. because it all, But I think it, for your audience, in, in the context of this, I'm going to use the word cinematic. But how can you have a cinematic experience that draws people into your content? So that way you actually teach them something at the end of the day. And it's not just boring, like droning on for an hour of talking about calculus one to go back to that, that point that I used earlier. So you have to, if you're, you have to bring in a producer, which is a really unique skill set. Someone who knows video, who knows content, who knows audiences to to be a, a co-pilot in producing that content, right? When I made Sally Serhant the course, Ryan, it was all Ryan's content, but I came in as the producer to say, how do we turn this content into a format that's easily accessible to audiences? Something that I did as a journalist for 10 years, because what a journalist does is take all sorts of complex sources and boils them down into the key points to educate an audience. That's what journalism is. And I knew a lot about video through because I was a video journalist. Uh, so I was able to combine those two skill sets to deliver really high quality education uh, in a way that people would actually draw through there and want to be excited to go to the next video and not even realize that they're learning in the process. Right. So. Until we get to the point, I'll back up and then I'll make my conclusion. That costs money, right? It costs money to hire a DP, director of photography, to hire three camera people to do a three camera shoot, to hire the audio guy, to hire the lighting guy, to, to make this look, look really nice. But if you're willing to put in that investment, you'll get the return later on. For the average program, education is not well-funded, right? So for the as compared to other things. Um, so for the average program, it's hard to make that happen. But until we get to the point where the people pr producing the education understand the importance of investing in high production values, we won't truly see the like the digital online revolution. 
because it's just not compelling enough. Yeah. And I love how you you mentioned that idea of it needing to be entertaining to draw people into the story. Again, you have such a wealth of experience that we can take this in a whole bunch of directions. But you mentioned the idea of not just talking head, not just original Khan Academy whiteboard and person going through it. What would be some elements that somebody would be wise to add? Like, what does that actually look like? So it depends on what you're teaching, right? I, I always go back to this calculus just because it's on my mind because of, and I think uh, because of outlier.org. And because I think it's a really good example of how do you make a subject that is so stereotypically boring as calculus, right? Calculus is math, functions, DYD, right? Like, how do you bring that to life? There's a few ways. And I, I looked at what they're doing. And I have a few things to build on what they're doing. Um, number one, not a single camera, you need visual variety. So if I were shooting a calculus class, let's say three cameras, one, and you probably will have the whiteboard because it's it's interactive. It shows you doing something. You could also do it on a screen, but I think it's way more interesting than the whiteboard. So or or chalkboard. One camera is of the chalkboard of the or the whiteboard. One camera is a wide shot of the person, you know, writing, talking, the whole scene. One camera is a close-up of guy talking to chalkboard, sort of like writing, like a medium shot. And then you switch between them, right? So it's not just one thing, it's really boring. You're constantly switching between shots. And that's what we expect today in production. So if you watch movies, and I go to movies here because that's what all of us think of when we think of, again, going back to the term cinematic, high quality, watch a movie from the 1950s or watch a movie from the 1960s. It is slow. It is really slow. They linger on shots. They stay there for minute after minute after minute. Watch a movie today. It's new shot, new shot, new shot, new shot. Completely different because audiences expect that today. We're all so fast paced. We all have such short attention spans. You have to constantly keep moving the audience through your video to keep their attention. Otherwise, they're going to be on their phone. They're going to be looking at something else in the room. So you have to produce like that too when you're shooting content. So even something as boring as calculus, you can make more interesting just by having multiple cameras. Now, put one of those cameras on a slider. Put your wide shot on a slider. So as the guy's talking, it's not just here. It's moving. Like, move across. Okay. Now, make the calculus relevant to real life. Okay? I remember, like, I'm going to try to pull an example from high school last time. But like calculus was like, I don't know, let's say calculating the volume of a shape. Go into a real life scenario where calculus is used. Designing the latest Boeing 787, right? Show how it's actually being used in something that's visually interesting. Construction of a building. I'm pretty sure you have to use calculus if you're building like a skyscraper in New York. Then go apply that concept. So it's not just math, theory, chalkboard. You're actually seeing in real life how that's used. Uh, so all of a sudden, you not only are taking someone out of the classroom for visual variety, but you're actually telling a story about it. Like, give that person a plot line. Architect needs to design building. Uh-oh, what are we going to do? We have to use, right? Like, I'm being a little bit facetious, facetious there. But, like, watch what HGTV does. HGTV isn't just, let's build houses. It's, oh, no, we discovered a problem in the basement. It's flooding. Our budget is cut right? Like that's a little fake, but at least it gives you conflict and drama to make it more interesting. So like, how do you create a real world scenario in which you could do that with calculus? It's possible. It is a hundred percent possible. And I just told you how, uh, but as you can see, this gets me really excited because imagine a world in which education goes outside of the classroom. You can learn a lot more uh, and it becomes a lot more interesting and we'll all be smarter as a result. Your level of enthusiasm and excitement about it, I can definitely sense it also gets me excited because if I could replicate you as a guest with uh, other people's areas of interest combined with education, that's the 
entire purpose. That's my entire why almost brings a tear to my eyes thinking about it, because that is my vision for how learning could be. Uh, Where we struggle still a little bit is that the inability to realize that as humans, there's a philosophical component to learning. Learning doesn't need to be I have 30 credits by the end of high school and I have this diploma and degree. David Kelly, uh, who I believe was the founder of IDEO, the company, uh, design company, started a school at Stanford called the D School. And I saw it. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. And Steve Jobs was the one who told him, promise me you'll never have a diploma that people get like a, a degree, like make this a non-degree program. So I will challenge that. I do think that you still need some sort of mark of credentialing because the goal of education, depending, but in general, for most, the strong majority of people, the goal of education is to get a job, to get something that someone will pay you for your education. So employers, right? Employers need some sort of reduction of risk mechanism to know that you actually know what you're talking about. So a lot of people could talk their way through a job interview, but how do you know that that person could actually do the work? Um, some sort of degree or credential is the proof that's stamped that reduces the risk for the employer. Because at the end of the day, all of us need to get paid in some way, shape or form. We all have to live our lives just to buy food at a very basic level and you know have a home and all of that. So um, I do believe that you still need to be able to prove in some way, maybe it's not a written test, but you still have to be able to prove in some way that you could do the work so that people can hire you. And so how do you feel about the idea of intern culture? A lot of people will say, well, we'll do a free internship because that may well lead to employment. And at least we have that test. Well, that's your credential. You successfully went through, let's say you want to go into banking, investment banking. If you did your internship at Goldman Sachs, right? And then at the end of the internship, you can get on the phone with the, whoever's hiring you next and get on the phone with the interview, inter, the internship supervisor and say, hey, did Johnny do a good job at the bank? Yeah check. That's your credential. You don't need it to be a test, but you need some form of proof. That is the proof is doing the job. You can consider consider that a diploma. Right. I want to get into a little bit of the technical about the course launch and kind of like some of those things a little bit uh, afterwards. But before we do, you mentioned um, high school a little bit. Let's go back to early days learning. Uh, were, did you like school when you were in it? Loved it. What did you love so much? I'm a very naturally curious person. That's what drew me into news in the first place. And that's what I love about what I'm doing now is how do you keep unpacking one layer further, one layer further, one layer further to get to the truth? So for me, the more I just like eat up knowledge and new information. Uh, and I think that's why I love school. But also I love doing things. So like I remember, and my, and my wife is really into this too. We actually went to high school together. Um, we would actually compete in the morning to see who could arrive to school earlier, senior year. Because we both loved it so much, right? Like I was so involved with so many extracurriculars. I had something every day, either before school or after school. And my senior year, when a lot of people are like taking time off, going out to lunch, I had lunch every other day. Because one of my lunch periods was every other day gym, because we had to take gym. So every other day, I would eat in class because I didn't have a lunch period. Why would I want, I don't know, like this gets a little bit philosophical, but like I would much rather be learning than like going out and hanging out and sort of like joking around off campus at like, I don't know, McDonald's. Um, There's so much more value and so much more fun to me in getting things done and doing and learning. Yeah. What's neat about that, because I know some people would argue, well, there's the social component, there's the networking piece, blah, blah, blah. Clearly, you've done a great job of that in your career anyways. Yeah. And but I, but there is, I think you hit, you actually to round this out, that's 100% 
true is that the more time that you spend doing and not socializing, <laughs> more it could hurt your career. So I have definitely made it a priority to force myself into social situations because my natural state of being is certainly working and reading. Um, if you were to like let me free for a day to do anything I want, I'd probably read a book. But I know that that is not to my career and my future advancement. So I do force myself into more social situations uh, and make myself get it. And I, I've come, I, I, I do enjoy them, right? Like when I'm there, I love being social and that's helped me get to where I am today. But certainly my natural state of things would be like reading a book. I know I, I see through your Instagram content on reading and it's, it's always neat when you post something like that. It's another one of those examples where a lot of people are getting into Audible and finding other ways to sort of read. I mean, it's not quite the same, but why do you love books and reading so much. You know, Ramit Sethi. Have you heard of Ramit Sethi? He wrote, um, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He has a big course empire. Yeah, I have heard of him, but I haven't gone into his content much. So his, yeah, so I interviewed him a lot while I was at NBC, like several times. So I like him and I like his, his content so much. His big philosophy is, boils down to spend extravagantly on the things you love as long as you cut everything else that you don't. So his big question is if you could, like, what is that thing that you spend money on with and don't feel guilty about it. And for me, it's books. Some people love shopping and going to buy clothes or shoes or whatever it might be. Some people love taking vacations. My thing is when I see a book I want, I just go buy it on Amazon. And I have a big library as a result and it costs money, but that's my thing that I like spending money on. And everyone has something different that they want to spend money on. And I think it's important just as like a life skill to not restrict yourself on that as long as you're cutting the areas that aren't as important to you. Yeah, I have heard his work. I, I think if he's the one that can, calls the money dials, right? Like what dial are you? Turning? Yeah, 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 yep, yep, yep. So you, so you choose your money dial. Yes, that's for me. Yeah, and I love that. I love that concept. That's so such a part of why people struggle with the idea of pursuing their passions, I find, because they're constantly measuring against standards that they think think they should be doing, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't spend on this. But if it's actually tied to your money dial, then it's like, no, you should, because that's going to put you in a state of continually ratcheting up that success ladder, you know? Yes, I do. Yeah. So just to touch on the course itself a little bit, similar to how you did better, um, one thing that I love with these episodes is helping people that are interested in a particular topic. And I know one of those things that I've been focusing on right now is online business, but there haven't been many course creators per se. You mentioned having a good product, obviously. What does the actual course look like? Um, let's say people not in real estate and sales that won't, won't get to experience uh, sell it like Sir Hans. What, what is the delivery like? So you can go to go to ryansirhands.com slash course, click on the syllabus. There's a, you can download the syllabus. So you could download, you could see the outline. And I think that's one of the best things to do just to, and if you're listening to this now, like pause this episode and go do it because it'll help you to have an understanding of what the course is. There's also a sizzle reel there, ryansirhands.com slash course. That's a teaser. Uh, and we will be soon launching a free trial so people can get into it. Um, the course is broken down into three different units. I guess you can call them from like an education term, but really they're three parts. The first part is your sales foundations. So it, it goes through mindset, um, Ryan's four W system, your why, your work, your wall, your win, which you have to understand before you can have any success because you have to understand what success looks like and you have to understand what you're running from and why you do what you do. Um, we talk about some core foundations like improv and the importance of improv. Everyone should take an improv course. Um, and then we go into um, a finder, keeper, doer, which is how to structure your day follow up, follow through, follow back, which is the most important skill for any salesperson. 
follow up, follow up, follow up. And then some other like core foundational things. After we go through the foundation, we go into specific techniques. The, um, the Sirhan, I think it, we call it like the Sirhan secrets or the Sirhan sales arsenal or something. Six, six, uh, clearly it's not a great name because I can't remember it, but it's the six specific techniques that will help you in your sales practice. So um, it's negotiation, hold, push, and persist, um, which is negotiation. It's the wow moment. It's the book in the box. Um, it's, it's flipping negatives into positives. It's the good news sandwich. So these are very specific items that you can use in very specific sales scenarios that you'll encounter. Then the entire last part is putting it all together. How do you use everything we learned in part one and part two to meet with buyers, to meet with sellers? Because those are two different sides of the real estate or the real estate market. Real estate agents work with buyers or and or work with sellers. They're different. So how do you use the techniques in those two situations? And then how do you do showing? The core of like what a real estate do- agent does um, is generate leads, which is part one, um, all the structure that you need to generate leads. And then once you actually have the leads, you, you close the business. How do you do the showings? And how do you close the deal? That's all part three. It's talking head because you have to get the theory in there. You can do talking head in very different ways, but part of a course is, is the theory. You need that. Uh, but then how do you put it into practice? So for me, the talking head is using the same techniques that I used at NBC, which is put graphics on top of it. So if you're talking about a concept, do a roll a graphic roll up depending on your your style. Animate in a graphic, have graphics showing what it is to illustrate the concept, and then animate off the graphic. Um, as you're going through, if you're going to be talking, if this chapter is going to be the five things you need to know, list them out in a graphic. One, two, three, four, five. Keep keep them blank until you get to them. So you you tease the audience through, right? Because you want to get the audience through your video. So first thing I'm going to talk about is number one, blah blah blah. I show the list, one, two, three, four, five, number one, topic one, but then hold the other five blank. When you get to two, show the list again with one filled in, now reveal number two, right? To pull them through. Whenever you say, this is an important thing to remember, animate on, the important thing to remember. So you're showing it visually, and then for people who are who like written, written word, right? Because all of us learn in different ways. So you're reinforcing it in two different ways for different types of learning, right? And you do that throughout. So it's not just a talking head you're reinforcing that with graphics. And then you show it in action. So we have like fun, fun scenarios that we do. So for example, Ryan talks about flipping negatives into a positives. There's certain things that objections that real estate agents get all the time. You know, the bedrooms are too small. The kitchen is dated. I can't fit my stuff in the closet. Whatever it is, always flip that negative into a positive. Yes, the kitchen's dated, but because it's dated, we can actually get this house for a lower price and build into our offer the cost that is going to take you to make your dream kitchen. Boom. Negative. It's terrible. Well, actually, that's a good thing because you can make your dream kitchen. So we explain how to do that. And then we have a 60-second exercise where I show Ryan. I'm not on camera. I'm producing it. But we give Ryan um, photos of terrible home features. And he has 60 seconds to flip as many as possible into positive. So it's like disgusting kitchen. It's way too tiny bedroom. It's very, very pink bathroom. It's a backyard full of garbage. Like it looks like a, a junkyard. Um, we didn't get to them because he couldn't. But, but later on, as the, I made them, I put them in an order so they get progressively harder. At the end, we ran out of time. But we get to a house on fire and a house literally being flooded, like with a, with a storm flood. Like that's fun, right? That is fun content. How do you flip a house on fire into a sellable real estate feature? Um, so it's, it's, it, you go through that in like a fun way. So you do like these little fun games throughout. And then the, um, the part at the end of putting it into practice, we go into real showings and I shot it like a reality show. 
three cameras, wide shot, one on one on the agent, one on the, I guess the, the person who's looking at the house. And then we go through and we do a bad showing with one of Ryan's agents. Then Ryan is hiding in the stairwell with a monitor, like commenting on it as he goes like, Oh, don't do that. Here's why that's a bad technique. And then he does the exact same showing as a good showing to show how you're supposed to do it. So you can compare bad versus good. And then the third video in that sequence is the debrief. You did this. Here's why I did what I did and how you can do it better. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are really doing a great job of combining that education with entertainment piece, which is how great learning always works. Sounds super engaging. uh, And I'm just really happy to hear that. Yeah, it's so important. Is it asynchronous in the sense that like if I bought the course tomorrow, I could just rip through all of it right now in a 48 hour binge? Or is it kind of like uh, on a drip method or how does that work? Yeah, you buy the course, you have access to the whole thing. So you can binge it if you want. You can go back and watch whatever you want. That's important to us because everyone learns differently, right? Like if you if you just want to bang through it and get as much from you can, great. Um, and then we have people who watch it over and over and over again. The same way you'll reread a book that you like and that you learned, got value from, people rewatch the course or they're like, oh, I'm about to go into a difficult negotiation. Let me go refer back to that negotiation chapter and rewatch it again. And then people give us comments all the time. We have it on our Facebook page. Um, we have a private member community for people who buy the membership in addition to the course. Um, people are like, oh yeah, I used Ryan's technique in this negotiation that I have and I closed the deal because I used that technique that I rewatched the video for moments before I went into the negotiation. So it works. It actually works. Right. And so that was my next question was, is there a membership from buying the course or is that in addition to? It's in addition. It's $4.99 to buy the course and then you can pay an optional $9.99 per month to get the membership. Now, the membership is worth way more than $9.99 a month. Like we do, yeah, so you get access to the private Facebook community. Ryan does um, monthly Q&As for the member community. We have a news, a monthly newsletter. I do video reviews of agents marketing videos. They're called, it's called Kyle's Corner. So you get access to me and my 10 years of experience as an NBC producer. Um, so I do video reviews for you. We have guides and templates. Every month we come out with a new guide. So we have like the closing guide, the for sale by owner guide, the um, the social media playbook, new one every month. We have agent um, marketing templates. So we have an actual in, Adobe InDesign template, the same one Ryan uses for his listings, for a just listed, just sold postcard, a show book, and a show sheet. So you don't have to create these yourself. Oh, and then I also moderate virtual workshops. So now during quarantine, we decided that we wanted to give members even more content. So every other Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I bring on a um, real estate industry expert to dive deep into one subject. So we did pitching new development. We did how to do virtual tours. We did visual branding. Um, we did using LinkedIn to generate leads. We did how to how to build digital marketing funnels. Next Monday, we're going to have developing a personal brand. So like that just keeps going and going. We have hour-long um, webinars that I moderate. And then the replays are all available to people who can't make it live because we have people in 36 countries in all the time zones. So not everyone can make it at 4 p.m. Eastern. What's so crazy is, yeah, that could be a couple hundred dollars a month and a lot of people would pay it. Um, what's neat, though, is at a low cost, you build just the continually growing audience and massive community. Uh, again, maybe people that aren't interested in converting homes, but they sell donuts. I, I don't know if if you have other salespeople in the membership. We do. We do. So we have yachts and people sell yachts because they're <laughs> not selling yachts. I'm told and they're sold a yacht, but it's very similar to selling homes. Uh, in that like there's a lot of them there's like it's sort of like a home where you have like a living room and a bathroom right so we have yacht salesmen we have pharmaceutical salespeople. we have someone who sells dental equipment we have someone who sells if i didn't say medical equipment already medical equipment 
Um, we have a Formula 3 race car driver who joined at the pro level because he wanted to learn how to sell himself to sponsors. We have also in our pro level someone who sells high-ticket coaching. So he's a salesperson for salespeople, which is really funny. <laughs> like he's in our pro level. Like the, the basic sales techniques apply no matter what you sell. That's the great thing. And yes, it's the real estate course, but it's sales at the end of the day, which is built on human connection. Of course, you can pass it on to Ryan that it, you've got me intrigued and interested too By the on my join the, come join the course. Person, yeah, well, on my personal side, for me, it's off topic, but it's figuring out what that product is, as you mentioned earlier, anyways. And so once I get there and once I am selling something, I'll, I'll come by the course. You talked about the idea of you doing a, a, a piece every Monday. Um, one thing that interests me is I know that you really understand how to be collaborative team player that shows through on your social media, it shows through in your business past and your experience. But in terms of your personal brand or what you offer and do, do you have aspirations in that area too? Yeah, I'm figuring it out. You know, I once had a friend who told me, well, he's still my friend, but I have a friend who once told me a painter's house is never painted because what does he do all day? He goes out and paints houses. The last thing he wants to do is come home and paint his own house, right? So you, you get this with chefs too. I am really good at figuring this out for other people. Somehow I could do it for other people all day long, but I have that trouble when it comes to myself. I don't know why. I haven't cracked that code yet, but I'm trying to develop a brand for myself and possibly because I'm too, too close to it obviously for myself, because I see myself as a multifaceted person, right? I'm married. I have a six month old child. Like I, like I have different, I'm getting my MBA. I have different sides of my personality. So it's really hard for me to focus on one thing. Also at the fear of pigeonholing myself. Now, here's the thing. We talked about this earlier. Niche is powerful. Niche is important. You have to be niche, uh, at least starting out. So I have to find that one thing that I can go, 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 go down deep on. And then eventually over time, expand, use that core to expand. So my core skill set, I'm a really good journalist uh, and a really good producer, which, and it's driven by my curiosity, right? So uh, that makes me really good at making courses. So now I'm like, oh, maybe I can just become a specialist in helping people make courses. I've gotten, ever since doing Ryan's course, I've gotten a lot of phone calls and a lot of interest in people helping me make their course. And I'm always happy to do these sort of consultations. Uh, and I do like half hour, just like, yeah, let's jump on the phone. Let's talk about it. I should probably monetize that, right? Like it's a skill set. It's my time. I should monetize it. But I have so, a trouble doing that for whatever reason. Maybe it's a mental barrier. It's probably mindset. But also I have so much fun having these conversations. I'm like, let's just do this for fun. Let's have this conversation because it's enjoyable. Well, listen, I mean, uh, Gary V, who's right near you guys there in New York, has been doing free consultations an hour to two hours every morning since COVID started. I mean, I think there's an element to appreciating that helping for the sake of enjoyment, if you truly love it, is important. Yeah, I have a absolutely. And that's what I do. Yeah. And I have a ton of empathy for that piece for you because I'm in the exact same boat. You know, I'm 15 years into career with tons of different experiences where people call me for advice and say, you know, you should make a business out of this after they got the free advice. It's like it's figuring out. I think what it is, is figuring out what is the one thing that you really, as you said earlier, it would be a shame not to sell to more people because it's going to be that. And once you find that, I think, well, I know you'll do incredible things to help more people. That's the goal. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll all get there, right? If I'm not buying the course yet, I do have the book. I liked the books so out like Sir Hint and I applied to the free year NYC thing. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it, I think the concept was so cool. Were you involved in the planning for that? No, I was not. So that's the, that's the social media team, um, largely. So Ryan, I do the way that sort of Ryan World works, he has real estate, he has the social media team uh, and the sort of the media team and then this the digital product team. 
Uh, that's changed a little bit over time since I started, but I run the digital product team. Yeah, I just think it was such a cool concept. Um, I have some theme questions that I ask everybody just to kind of connect episodes. This is a nice one if you have kids because you can just kind of think of them. If you were leaving one piece of advice for the next generation, what would it be? Uh, so there's a good question. There's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, it's called The Man in the Arena. I'm going to now I have to look it up because I want to give you this quote because it's so powerful and so important. I should have memorized it. Theodore Roosevelt gave this speech sometime in the early 1900s. Um, but the quote is, is this, and I'm going to read this to you because this is really important. And this is what I live my life by. Um, and I hope my, my son uh, believes the same thing. Ultimately, uh, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That is, that is like 100%. Like, go out and do things. Like, don't sit around. Yes, you're going to fail over and over and over again. And it's okay because when it matters, right, going back to where we started the conversation, the things that matter, you will actually make happen. You must find a way to make it happen. And I've done that my whole time. Every interview that I've gone on for a job certainly hasn't turned into a job. I think it has for literally anyone in the world. The Where it's mattered and where I'm really supposed to go next and the things that I really have cared about have always knock on wood so far, hand out. Uh, and if they don't, then I have the Theodore Roosevelt quote to lean back on because you should just be out there doing things and just not sitting on your couch and telling other people what they should or shouldn't have done. Yeah, I love that part when it comes to the critic, right? And I think it's great advice for anybody. A lot of my audience and youth that I've worked with over the years, heck, adults too, struggle with that because they fear what other people think. I think that holds a lot of people back. Turning them onto that quote would definitely help. And I thank you for joining me in this arena because it can be tough starting a project like this without people like you who believe in a quote like that to make these things happen. So I appreciate that. One thing that you yourself are, are learning right now. I'm getting, so I do part-time MBA after work, um, which is a big time suck, but it's 100% worth it. But I'm getting better at digital marketing analytics every single day. Coming from a producer background, I know content very well. Uh, but now that we sell, we have a digital business, um, and I have a really great digital marketing director uh, who works with us. I need to get better at continuously learning just metrics, how we're doing, how the funnel's performing, uh, what that means, how to how to tweak it. When you know something, you're also able to better work with that team. Like you mentioned, the your experience at NBC as well, building teams. Once you know it, you can still have other people do it, but without knowing it. You have to understand the basics. You don't necessarily need to, you need to be a technical expert in one thing. And my one thing, that I'm a technical expert in is production and content, uh, which is really important for our business because we are a production and content business to produce courses and, and knowledge products and whatnot. But you have to understand the basics of everyone else's functional discipline. Right. So that way you can communicate to them, but you don't need to know the specifics. So the last question I have is kind of a meta one because it flips it a bit, gives you the opportunity to ask me a question. But I want to frame it in the sense of if you thought that my answering a question from my audience or something you're curious about asking me, what would you ask me that I could answer? I have two in my mind. One is two steps. I wanted to ask you if you could have the dream guest on your podcast, who would it be? But that's just everyone, that's just a, everyone asks that question. So instead, what I'm going to ask is, 
how do you want to change the world with this podcast? What's the goal? What's the big picture goal? All right, I'll answer the first one too, because now you got me thinking about how could I not? And, it, and it'll be super unexpected, I guess. Obviously, we talked about good learning and examples, and um, you brought up Ramit Sethi. Is that how you pronounce his name? Ramit, I believe his last name is Sethi. And it made me think of this person as well, uh, Randy Posh. And we talked about David Kelly. Randy's since passed, but he was the author of The Last Lecture, and he published The Last Lecture, which is one of my favorite YouTube videos. In a very deep way, it's too bad that I'll never get the chance to have him as a guest. But if I could, that would just be an incredible thing because he stands for everything that I do when it comes to learning. And you mentioned it earlier with your production level. How do we create head fake learning? That was what he was all about as a college professor was we can create great learning opportunities where people come away from it being like they may not even notice that they learned because they were so enthralled, engaged and deep in that. So it should be. Yeah, it's exactly how it should be. And the fact that um, not everyone knows his YouTube video or like just being able to pick that guy's brain because he's another example of every single thing he set his mind on, he could accomplish. And that's what he wanted to pass on to next generation. It's just sad that he, he went so young. That leads right into the second question for sure for me. And it's that helping people understand that through continuous learning, you can achieve your passion. It may not be your job in your career, but it can at least be a hobby that's part of your job or your career. That is my ultimate goal when it comes to this. I think it's necessary for your job and your career. Um, you're not going to get ahead or you may be left behind if, if, right, like you may get to the point if you don't keep learning where you just become an also brand, right? Uh, because you're not pushing forward while everyone else is. So I think you always need continuous learning. Absolutely. And I think the part that people don't know because they're not in my head is um, the whole the whole thing about just keep learning too that that is part of it for me is the idea around mental health, like not putting too much pressure on yourself. Go to bed and wake up the next day and try again, as well as relationships, right? Um, when people piss you off, whether it's haters online or it's the woman behind you in the grocery store who wasn't wearing a mask, always putting yourself in a stance to learn why is that person acting this way or a child, a young child's a great example for parenting right? Okay. Yeah. They're tantruming, but why? And, and just continually taking that learning stance, I think would help a lot of people. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for doing this. The last question always is, I guess, um, where and why might people uh, want to find you online? Uh, so follow me on Instagram uh, at Kyle Scott original, constantly posting on my stories about what I'm learning specifically and what I'm doing around the course, around my career, uh, about the future of sort of digital marketing and education and exp expanding like different businesses I'm really into, like digital businesses now. I've always been really into how do you take one idea and then expand it bigger? Um, like, how do you go from real estate sales course to all types of sales at all times, right? Like, all of those. I think Robert Moses, I don't want to go down too far down this, but Robert Moses, I think, did a, is a great example of this. He had a lot of problems and made a lot of mistakes. But the way that he was able to expand his career in so many ways here in New York and has such an impact in New York is, is fascinating. So I'm really into that. Um, also, my website, kylescott.com, which I have to do more on, but it's there. It exists. You can sign up to my non-existent newsletter. There's a, there's a field for your... You can put in your email for when I start my newsletter, but uh, go to kylescott.com and at kylescottoriginal on Instagram. Well, let's get something up there because I know you have so much value to offer. Thank you. That, that if people sign up, keeping it simple though at first is probably not a bad idea, that, but it'll, it'll help people for sure. Thank you. So thank you so much for doing this. You're someone who definitely takes that learning stance all the time. And I'm appreciative of that. Anyone who learns that from you, whether it's your kid or colleagues you come in contact with, will be better off for it. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. 
Have a great day. Cut. <laughs> nice. We are so grateful to you, the listeners, the community. Remember, the more people that tune in, the more we can help. So please do share the show. Thank you to our guest, Kyle. He gets stronger and stronger with each new business, course, or content that he creates. And learning from him is super helpful. It's our goal to have this in every school, so it would mean the world if you subscribe, leave reviews, but most importantly, pass it on to someone who might benefit. Until the next drop, all the best. And remember, just Keep learning.